He's a sulky, over-funky, kinda hunky superhero. A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero. An exotically neurotic and aquatic superhero. The Marvel superheroes have arrived. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Marvel Vision, a Marvel Studios TV show podcast brought to you by Cinema Sangha. My name is Devin Faraci. I'm one of the hosts of this program. Joining me as he traditionally does. My name is Dirk Faraci, and I saw a werewolf drinking a pina colada at Trader Vic's. His hair was perfect. We are doing a special edition because Werewolf by Night came out this week, a Marvel, spre- a Marvel special presentation. And so we talked about how to best deal with this, and we decided let's just do its own little special thing. This is, this is its own little special thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for... <laughs> Thank you for agreeing. Agreed. We we are recording this at an unusual time for us. Traditionally, we record this in the evening or the night. But because of scheduling issues, we are recording this at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning Los Angeles time. So I am a little I think bit... you should tell them the truth. What's that? You were afraid that it would give you nightmares, so you want to watch it while the sun was out. It's <laughs> totally true. I was just too, too pansy-ass for this particular program. Uh... I had a long day yesterday, and now I have to do this, and then I have a long day today. Yeah. Yesterday, I went to Beyond Fest. I saw three movies at Beyond Fest. I saw um, Kids vs. Aliens, A Wounded Fawn, and a re-release of Cruising with director uh, uh, William Friedkin in person doing a QA. and um, Really liked all the movies. Obviously, Cruising is a great wild-ass movie from 1980. Um, Kids vs. Aliens was absolutely incredible. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Uh, traditionally, I'm not the um, screaming kid movie kind of guy. Yeah. But this is a really good screaming kid movie. Also, they just continuously drop the F-bomb. Wow, there you go. Um, but it's very funny. It's very good. It's very fun. Uh, it's, it's a real blast. Wounded Fawn um, is a very sh- odd um uh, s- surreal Sam Raimi movie is how I would describe it. Um, it has some Evil Dead vibes to it, but it's like Evil Dead if Alejandro Jodorowsky maybe had made it. <coughs> um, it's a very different kind of movie for filmmaker Travis Stevens. Very exciting to see a filmmaker stretching um, his wings a little bit like this and really going for something new uh, and uh, creating some unbelievably striking imagery in the process. And then cruising. Great movie. You've seen Cruising, right? Yes. Um, Great movie. Enjoyed uh, watching it on the big screen. I had never seen it on the big screen before. Um, Friedkin came out and did a QA and a afterwards. We left the Q&A about one hour, 20 minutes in. Okay. It had just – it wasn't stopping. And it just going. It just kept going. He would just talk. He um, – I have interviewed Friedkin, and I did a 15-minute interview with Friedkin one time that turned into 45 minutes. Okay. Um, I had to stop it. Usually, like, when you, like, on an interview, like, you don't ha- you don't stop it. Like, you let it go. But I had, I had somewhere to be, and William Friedkin wouldn't stop talking. So that's, like, his whole vibe. And <clears throat> he was in really good form last night. He was talking about what a pain in the ass Al Pacino was. Okay. He said that Gene Hackman was not a pleasure to work with. He said that he said that Gene Hackman was not the most motivated actor, <laughs> which I thought was like a really incredible burn. Not the most motivated actor. <clears throat> he um, That's rough. Uh, he he was he was truly. He talked about the one time he met Alfred Hitchcock, 
uh, he directed the final episode of the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, and he met Hitchcock in passing on the set of that, and Hitchcock said to him, Mr. Friedkin, my directors usually wear ties on set. No. And Friedkin said, oh, well, I'm sorry. I And then Hitchcock just walked away. That was his entire <laughs> encounter with Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> so did he talk I mean, about was, Can't Stop the Music? How did you know that? I just know the story. I didn't know he actually talked about it. He so somebody in the audience, it got very raucous. It was a very raucous Q&A with the audience shouting questions at him without like waiting for the moderator to. And then at one point, just shouting the names of movies at him to get his response to the to movies. Yeah. But somebody <clears throat> somebody stood up and said, hey, so you made this movie in New York City the same year that Can't Stop the Music was being made. And he said, did you just say cruising and can't stop the music in the same fucking sentence? He said, <laughs> he said, fuck you. Not, not, was, well, that's the thing. Not only did, were they filming in New York City at the same time, they were filming on the same streets. Like they were was, filming side by side. He was very angry to have it, have it brought up. Well, it was pretty incredible. He's like, he's like, how dare you? <laughs> so fucking funny. <laughs> like two vastly different movies. <laughs> both in in theory at least one is definitively what the other one uh i guess uh, uh not quite as open about it about like gay life and gay culture and uh filming in the same streets crazy like it is it is crazy like imagine like it's walking a- down the street and you see like the village people and 12 feet away is al pacino and you're like what is going on is al pacino <laughs> Village people? Yeah, you would, you would just think they were in the same movie together. Yeah. Um, somebody asked him about the protesters. When they made Cruising, there were protesters outside the the, the sets. And uh, the gay community was up in arms about the movie even before it came out. And they would make a lot of noise outside of the locations to try to disrupt filming. So somebody said to him, you know, what What did you think about the protesters? And he says, fuck the protesters. <laughs> <laughs> he says – Says I haven't thought about the protesters since the between the day we stopped filming and right now when you asked me about them. <laughs> <laughs> and then he wanted to say, like, you know, as a filmmaker, he's trying to get emotional responses. So any response is good. He's glad that they people were making their voices heard, uh, but also fuck them, which I thought was yeah. very, very funny. But uh it was truly a bonkers QA that we had to bounce on because it just would not end. And it was oh, like man. eleven o'clock. Today we're going back to Beyond Fest for a triple feature of William Shatner movies. Very sad, William Shatner. And William Shatner will be there doing a Q&A. He's very sad right now. Yeah, he's having a hard time these days. Did you see his, his thing about going into space? Yeah, he wrote a book about it. Yeah, and it, it made him very sad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he'll talk about it today at the Q&A. Yeah. Um, they're showing Kingdom of the Spiders. The Devil's Reign, which is the movie that the Halloween mask comes from, okay. and um, Impulse, a movie I've never seen. Oh. So. Is Kingdom of the Spiders, is that the one that's in, um, what's the language? No, that's not in Esperanto. I wish okay. I wish they were showing his Esperanto movie. Okay. Uh, no, Kingdom of the Spiders is a movie about uh, uh, spider invasion. But yeah, I, I mean, the title suggests that, I guess. Kingdom of the Spiders, you will not remember this because you were like two and a half years old, maybe three years old at the time. Age doesn't matter. I don't remember what happened (laughs) last week. 
No, I don't mean that, but I'm saying. I, I can't remember when, names, dates. I watched Kingdom of the Spiders on TV the night that John Lennon was murdered. Well, there you go. So I was in one room watching TV, watching Kingdom of the Spiders, and our parents were in another room watching the news reports of Lennon's murder. And our, I could hear our father crying in the other room while I was watching William Shatner fight tarantulas. <laughs> Uh, there you go. And you're like, the movie's not that bad. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very specific memory that I have attached to this particular movie. So I am curious if I'm going to have like some kind of triggered effect while watching it in a movie theater. Yeah. Um, they should, in, in the theater next to you, they should be playing the new reports <laughs> of John Lennon dying. <laughs> uh, how's your weekend been? Uh, it's been okay. I When I bought a new coat. I have to do laundry. Today. You mentioned you were buying a new coat. You bought it, huh? I did. I did. So I did that. And then I watched some movies. And What'd you watch? I watched uh, Brightburn. Why did you watch that? We might be doing that for a, a Marvel Vision at some I mean, for a Watchmen at some point. Yeah, it's going to be like at least like a year away. Okay, I guess so. You're right. What was your take on Brightburn this time around? I uh, still don't like it. <laughs> still don't like it. Yeah. Like, I understand what they're doing, I, and I, I get it. It just does not work for me. I just Right. It does not. The kills and stuff are, are cool, but it just the overall does not work for me. Right. I get it. Yeah. And then I started watching the new Hellraiser, but I stopped. Why? It was it was, it was was too sexy for you? No, it, I, it's on Hulu, and there's commercials during it. I was like, I don't want to watch this with, like, commercials throughout it. Well, just you have to get the Hulu with no commercials. Yeah, I'm not doing that. So... I thought there would be no commercials because usually when I watch a movie on Hulu, there's no commercials during the movie. That is crazy. They should. You would think they would just front load the thing with commercials up top, especially for a new debut movie. But yeah, that's. I'm pretty sure that's what they usually do. So I was I was surprised. I was bummed out. So that did not work out. Hmm. And then I, I've just been reading the news coming out of New York Comic Con. Anything exciting? This is a comic book movie show. Uh, the thing I find exciting is that DC uh, Universe Infinite, they're they're creating a second tier DC uni- Universe Infinite Ultra. They got to work on these names. It's more than infinite. It's beyond yes. infinite. <laughs> it's ultra infinite. To be to but, infinity uh, and beyond. Yes. But uh, for an additional price, instead of waiting six months for new comics, you wait a month. And they're also going to add like Vertigo and Black Label stuff to it. So that's exciting. Is this the death of comic books? No, I don't think so. People are still going to buy paper books if they know that they're going to be digitally available for quote unquote free in a month? Yes. I think really? So. Yeah. Like enough to make a difference. I think I, I maybe I I mean I don't I don't know what those sales look like now. You know, like what is the 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 divide between digital and and you know, paper sales, but or physical sales, but I, I I imagine like people that buy physical aren't people who are willing to wait a month. Right, a month is pretty fast, though. Yeah, I agree. Six I months agree. is like actually like a real amount of time. Like <clears throat> the six month delay on Marvel Unlimited means that it's three. Months what happens to Marvel? Is only three months? I thought it was six. They it used to be six, it. and then they shortened it to three. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe this will change my habits because for a while I would get really excited about an upcoming storyline about something. And then yep. um, because of the delay, I, the storyline would finish 
before it began running on Marvel Unlimited, and I would know what happened, and I would go, oh, okay, I guess I don't need to read that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have that, that same issue, and that's why I'm excited for this new monthly format. Because for me, Marvel Unlimited is just an archive. Like, I just read old books. Yes, that's primarily it's, what I use Ultimate for, or uh, Infinite. Although every now and again what happens is I go in and I start trying to catch up with the new X-Men books, the Krakoa era. That. And I'll, I'll do like a, I'll do like a couple. I'll read like a bunch of books over a couple of days and then I'll cool off and then I'll come back in a, a month yeah. or two. Yeah, I can't catch up on Marvel stuff. It's I can't – the layout of it, of, of, of the app, I find very confusing where like I don't know the order of everything. And since Marvel restarts their books like every 18 months – it's like you put in like Daredevil and it's like, well, here's 32 different Daredevil number ones. Good luck figuring out the order of them. It really sucks because it's not like that hard to figure out the order because they put the dates next to them. So, you know, this is Daredevil series from 1963 oh. versus this one from 2018. Yeah. Um, in terms of number ones, right? Yeah. So you can figure that out. But they're, they're, the way that they're organized feels really co- chaotic to me, even though yes. I think it's just alphabetical. Um, but they need to take it and make it date oriented a little I bit. I agree. And and DC um, needs to do the same thing cuz like if you use the DC app and you look up Batman, there's like 30 Batman titles before you just get to Batman. <laughs> it's like no, I just want to read the the latest Batman comics or whatever. That's you know? yeah, that's the thing. They need to like make a thing where they pin the main title to the top of the thing so that way you're not scrolling through when you're looking for spider-man you're not scrolling through 7,000 miniseries 7,000 reboots 7,000 one shots or just like you said like have an option where i can i can list it based on date you know yeah it just seems crazy they don't have that like yeah list list chronologically because that's just the easiest way to read this shit is to read it chronologically yeah yeah so because the funny thing is that sometimes when you're reading these books and you end like one run like Marvel especially because they're consistently making number one issues. When you end one run and you move on to the next number one, you have to kind of do the math in your head and go, okay, how many issues were there? What year did this one end in? And thus, what year did the new one begin in? <laughs> yeah. And I just shouldn't have to do that to read a comic book. I should be able to pick up the next one. Like, it just should be as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. But they also should – they also – now they do legacy numbering on Which makes comics. it even more confusing. But they should just do leg- only legacy numbering – on the app. That would be great. I'd have no problem with that. I mean, I, th- I guess I understand why you sort of why you don't, because if you're coming into the app and you see there's a 750 issue Spider-Man run, you don't feel the interest in diving into issue 675 or whatever. Yeah. So that's part of the reason why these things all begin at number one again is to try to convince people they can read it. Yeah. So I kind of get it. But again, there should be an option that I get to choose that I can click a button and go legacy numbering and then just yeah. legacy numbers all the comics. That's genius. I think that's great. I think that yeah, Marvel, really take great. it. Enjoy it. Own it. Yeah. Because it really, it is very hard. You know, and then also like there's so many titles that like names change like slightly and then you're like, oh, right. I missed one because it was, you know, Daredevil, 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 Daredevil Renaissance, Daredevil, right. Daredevil. And you're like, oh, I didn't know Renaissance was in there. <laughs> like, so I have no idea what's happening. And I don't think that's an actual Daredevil title. I'm just making something up there, but. You know, it gets confusing. It gets confusing. Any other good updates from Comic-Con? No, nothing too crazy. No. The Superman family all got new costumes. I'm not big on them. They're a little too militaristic looking for me. How long will they last is the question, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, Superman still has his costume, but everybody else has different costumes now. So that's suggesting won't last too long. But we'll see. We shall see. We just did an episode of Marvel Vision that's going to be out on the feed before this episode. So we did news there. Do we have any news that popped up in the days since? Not that I've saw, no. I mean, literally two days. Or a day. I know. Or two days, yeah. Wasn't there, I felt like there was news in the morning. Very traditionally, we'll record an episode and then they'll announce news the next morning. But we did it Friday night, so there's not usually news Saturday morning, right? That is a good point. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, this week we're talking about... We went worldwide. Where... What was that? We went worldwide. Did we? Yeah, the Superman thing got picked up by, uh, I want to say the Daily Mail. Wow. They mentioned but, us? No, I'm sorry. It's Express. Express.co.uk. So, yeah. Did they, they mention us? Yeah. Wow. Did they say I David mean, or Devin? No, they said Devin. And did they say the name of the podcast? They did. Wow. Yeah. Well, hello to all our uh, lovely new British listeners that I'm sure we got from this mention in the Express. Hello, Governor. <laughs> well, now the article won't load for me, so I don't know. Uh, well, they probably took it down. They realized what a bad idea it was to to say nice things about us. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, Werewolf by Night. Are you ready to uh, talk about this Marvel special presentation? I am. Let's do it. Last night I was digging in the sand, my teddy. Up jumps a man who's all black and hairy. Marvel special presentation number one, I guess. Is that how we're going to say that this works? Marvel, giant size Marvel number one. Giant size Marvel number one. Uh, uh, Werewolf by Night. Uh, really kind of a super exciting thing, I think. Yeah. Well, it just felt really different, didn't it? I didn't think so, no. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't think like a 50-minute one-off special it felt like really different. No, I felt like it was half a movie. Mm, so you're you're on the negative side on this one. I'm on the aggressively fine side of this. Oh boy, That's you and the aggressively fine. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about some of the origins of this stuff. Big night for Roy Thomas, because quite a number of Roy Thomas characters made their first appearance in Werewolf by Night, including Werewolf by Night himself. I'm actually curious. You and I both know Werewolf by Night. We're, we're comic book people. I wonder what the regular audience thought of this show called Werewolf by Night where nobody becomes a werewolf until the very end. Yeah, yeah. And it's not clear that he is a werewolf time. until then. No. No. It's, it, 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 I would say it suggests against him being a werewolf. Yeah, in fact, that is the thing. Like, when you probably watch the first 30 minutes of this and do not recognize that this guy is going to be the werewolf. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what happens Especially is that since he never gives his full name, which you would just assume he was a puppy. Yes. He's a terrier. Like, oh, he's a cute, he's a cute werewolf. It's a cute one. Um, so it opens, it's a black and white homage to what Michael Giacchino, the director has said is the memory of monster movies, not to any specific monster movie, yeah, but to the memory of watching them. 
And um, I really like the opening title card, which has big RKO slash Universal Monsters energy. I thought it was really, really nicely done. Um, I thought the black and white looked pretty good. I did not. You didn't think so? I do not believe this was supposed to be in black and white, and I think it shows. So the way that it – here's the deal, is that it was shot with the hope that it would be black and white, but Kevin Feige took some time on signing off on making it black and white. Giacchino's vision was black and white, so I think when they shot it, they probably lit it as much as possible in such a way that it would work as black and white. See, I I, I don't don't think they did, though. I think they did basic lighting, and there's no – stark contracts of blacks and whites you know there's no like nothing pops the way like a black like a a a movie that is meant to be filmed in black and white pops with like the darks and the and the and the the brights yeah i mean it's funny because i can't imagine what that garden looks like in color because it's so clearly like an expressionistic 1930s monster movie set yeah that it would look like shit in color i feel like so I'm I'm like so curious what this stuff looked like when it was in color. Um and I'm kind of curious if he upped the blood to convince them to make it black and white. Maybe, maybe. Cuz again, that was his vision from the beginning. And that's not just PR. I've heard this for a long time now that the yeah. he really wanted to do this in black and white and that there was like uh it just took some convincing on the part of the the studio folk to do it that way. Um but uh, it opens with – I think it was what's really interesting about what was Simon. No. It does. Does it? Yeah, the, the, the images that they're showing like the guy, the – in theory, maybe it's Ulysses Bloodstone or maybe it's like the Bloodstone family, the first Bloodstone. But he's, he's – it's Simon Belmont from the original Castlevania. He's dressed just like him in like I, the little drawings. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Whoever this guy is does not dress like – Ulysses S. Grant, because uh, Ulysses, I mean, Ulysses, Ulysses Bloodstone. <laughs> he doesn't dress like either. But. <laughs> that would have been amazing if that's what the story was. was like. Ulysses like, S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant was also a monster hunter, just like Abraham Lincoln, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he dressed like a, um, he dressed like a comic book version of like a safari guy with long blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a weird, uh, kind of a weird look. He also, in the comics, he's like thousands of years old. Yes. Uh, which they don't really make super clear in this, but he it was from... The, well, they say, uh, like, longer life, right? That the Bloodstone gives you longer life. When I say longer life, I mean that Ulysses S. Grant is from the time period that Conan the Barbarian is from. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. he's from 30,000 years ago. Like, it yeah. is... A very long time ago. But when he um, dies, he was clearly a big fan of like corn based on how <laughs> his his beard looked. Well, he was just, I guess, very old. So I don't know what the deal is at, at, at that point, what what his what his aesthetic was. He he looks nothing like Ulysses S. Grant. From, Ulysses S. Grant, I keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> now it's in your head. <laughs> it's the sequel to Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Ulysses S. Grant Monster Killer. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Um, this is actually in the day shift universe, as it's <laughs> uh, but yeah, they opens with all of these cool images of somebody fighting monsters. They mentioned opens with a guy a voiceover talking about dro- name dropping where monsters dwell. Yes, uh, a Marvel monster comic. I was very excited by hearing where monsters dwell. What appears to be somebody fighting the Wendigo, yep. in some of those opening sequences, yeah. Um, 
But this 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 is a really interesting thing because it's basically two sets. Yes. The garden and the indoors, and that's all there is in this whole thing. And I really appreciate how they use that, like how they really kept it tight. And we opens with Gael Garcia Bernal coming into this meeting of monster killers. And we don't know much about him. He's got like, he's got like some makeup on his face. Um, I, he says it's to honor his ancestors. I don't, I honestly don't know what the deal is. Um, and he's meets these monster killers who, uh, many of whom I don't recognize. Am I supposed to recognize all of them? I don't think so. The one I thought I was supposed to recognize, I looked it up and it's not who I thought it was. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I am know. really, I am super curious um, if these are all new characters or not, which is weird. I feel like it would not be the case. I feel right? like it would be. I, I feel like there might have been a point when they were like, oh, we'll use these characters. And then somewhere down the line before they started filming, they were like, we don't want to kill off all these characters. Like we might want them to pop up somewhere else somewhere later. So let's just make them like stand in characters. You know? Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Like, like back sense. in the day, you would have just tossed them in and killed them off and be like, haha, but now you have 20 years of connected universe and whatnot. You're probably like, eh, let's not go. Who knows what we're going to do with this kind of stuff? So let's not waste characters that way. This show also, by the way, um, goes out of its way to tell you this is in the same universe as the Avengers. Yes. It goes out of its way, like opens with an image of the Avengers and then like pans down below them to the darkness below their yeah. world. Yeah. Which I liked. I thought that was a good – you ha- kind of have to let the audience know that these days, right? They have to know. Um, but also there, you don't have to fit in somebody saying some stupid shit in the thing like saying, you know, Tony Stark or whatever. Let um, Captain America handle the the aliens. We handle the monsters. Yeah, like I think that this feels like so much its own little world that to have to mention those things feels like it would have broken it. So just getting that out of the way right up front, first shot of the fucking show. Like here they are. Yeah. Yes, the Avengers live in this universe, but this has got nothing to do with them. Yeah. So this monster hunter party is to uh, honor Ulysses S. Bloodstone Grant, who has died. And uh, he owns the Bloodstone, which is a magical artifact, which in the comics fell out of the sky. I don't know what the origin is going to be here in the MCU. Um, uh, he owns the Bloodstone, makes you uh, stronger, better, live longer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It also makes monsters weaker. Like that song. Bigger, stronger, better, faster. Yep. Um, also makes monsters weaker. Whoever owns the bloodstone is sort of the leader of this loosely amalgamated, 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 amalgamous, I'm over here using words that I can't even spell. Um, uh, this 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 loosely confederated group of monster hunters. Uh, the, whoever owns it becomes into the that Ulysses has grand stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so we meet the other monster hunters. There's like a um, there's like a big old uh, a big old Scottishy Irishy guy. Did you recognize him? No, who was that? That is you. I know you saw him recently in something, but I didn't because I didn't watch it. That is the guy who played the punk in Star Trek Four. Holy shit, no kidding. In, uh, yeah, who then showed up in, in uh, Picard season two. No kidding. He's really fun yep. in this. Yep. He's super fun in this. Yeah. His name is like Kirk Thatcher or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Um. Wow, good for him. There's also a uh, a 
David Bowie slash Marilyn Manson Monster Hunter. Who I thought was, I can't remember the character's name now, but isn't there like a zombie character? That, that's who I thought that was supposed to be. There is a zombie character, um, but I don't, I guess that's not it. No. That is the nun, though. That is the nun, yes. The actress is the nun. Yes. From the motion picture, The Nun. Um, and, and, the nun and the upcoming Nun 2. <laughs> it's not a joke, they're making it. I know, I know, but Nun 2 sounds funny. Nun 2. Uh, nun 2. Nun yeah. None of you, exactly. None of you, none of you. Uh, and then there's a uh, Blade ripoff guy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then there's an Asian guy who's like a martial artist. Yes. Luke, I was a little sure. surprised that we didn't get like a magic guy. Like from, from like. You know, I think it makes sense because what they tell us in this is that they, when they go into the garden, they have no weapons except for the weapons that are in the garden. Yeah. So to throw a magic guy in that doesn't feel fair. No, I, I agree. I agree. Also, I think the thing is, I think that Marvel magic and Marvel monsters are actually separate. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I think that Marvel magic is, um, a different kind of fantasy. Traditionally, Marvel magic and Marvel monsters don't cross over a ton. Like That's Doctor true. Strange will show up in Marvel monster stuff every now and yeah. again, but he's not but like he's a, not he's not, out laid too often. He isn't part of that world. Yeah, like when they did when that's they true. did Midnight Suns, just that's not you don't expect to see Doctor Strange on that team. Yeah, yeah. So I think Marvel monsters is just a little bit different than Marvel Magic. I think part of the deal thematically is that Marvel Magic there's too much control. Yeah, and Marvel monsters all have the very traditional Universal monsters lack of control thing. Yeah. And that's like a big part of their deal. Um, they are all troubled, dark creatures who maybe are trying to do good or whatever. Um, and that's very different from Marvel magic. Yeah. So I'm glad they didn't throw a magic guy in here. And again, I'm glad there's like no significant Marvel connections in this. No, there like, are none. Yeah. I love that it just felt like its own thing. Yeah. Um, so we learn that they're all going to go hunt a monster in the garden. And then whoever uh, kills the monster tonight gets the bloodstone and the bloodstone is in fact affixed to the monster. So during all of this, Gael Garcia Bernal, who is playing Jack Russell, it's like hard to get a read on what his deal is. Um, everybody else seems like much more confident in what they're doing. And then, uh, as, as the show goes on, you begin to realize this guy actually does not know what he's doing. Yeah. And I am curious. As, think he's like a great monster hunter that he's killed over a hundred monsters. Well, so he's, he's, What's really funny is that for the first half of this, I thought that that Bloodstone's widow knew who he was. Okay. Because when she is introducing everybody, she says she's very specific about them killing monsters, and then she gets to him and she goes over 100 kills. Yeah. Or over 100 yeah. deaths or something like that, yeah. which is more generic, which could be the, 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 the body count of the werewolf by night for all yeah. we know. Well, I – thought for sure it was going to be that he killed Ulysses Bloodstone. And then that is not the case. We don't know why Ulysses Bloodstone died. Yeah, they're leaving that up in the air. Uh, yeah. The final member of the group that come in is uh, Elsa Bloodstone, Ulysses Bloodstone's daughter. Um, a late addition to the Marvel um, mythology. Yep. Uh, and I think by late, it probably came out like 25 years ago. Uh, <laughs> Introduced in 1973. <laughs> well, Ulysses Bloodstone only came out in 75. These are all 70s characters. Like, So the deal is that when the um, Comics Code Authority loosened up some stuff, 
they were able to start putting monsters back in comics again. Because you couldn't put monsters in comics. You could put, like, science fiction monsters in comics, but you couldn't put werewolves and vampires. That stuff was, like, specifically banned because of EC Comics. Yeah. And so that shit began loosening up, uh, you know, in the 70s. And so now Marvel began throwing in Dracula. That's where Blade came from, from Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night. They did a Frankenstein. They did a Living Mummy. They have Man-Thing. Man thing really is sort of like straddling the line between like a science fiction monster and a horror monster. Yeah. Um, Elsa Bloodstones from 2001, by the way. Okay. Which is right after 9-11. In fact, I think that actually her comic was on stands when 9-11 happened. Um, created by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, the guys that created oh. the current run of Guardians of the Galaxy. There you go. The ones that are like the the, the movie version yeah. Yeah. of Guardians. Um, so Elsa Bloodstone's there. She's his daughter. Um, she is played by Laura Donnelly, uh, which is the kind of casting that makes one assume that she will, in fact, be showing up in a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, the um, two of them. Like, yeah, you don't get you don't them. get Bernal for nothing, right? Just for no. one thing. No, I don't think so. At least. Um, yeah, because I mean, like, she's like she's like one of fucking Olivier. She's in the Nevers. She was really good in the Nevers, which I think is never going to get finished. I'm guessing not. They like they they have like a whole second half of the season they didn't put out, right? Isn't that the deal? Yeah, yeah. The first half of the season, did you watch that? I watched like the first two episodes. It's like interesting, but I think that it's a little too X Men for its own good. It's a little too X Men, and there was a thing of like watching it where I was like, "Well, I know this isn't going to go beyond season one. <laughs> like, like they're not going to renew. Even if it had a billion viewers, they're not going to they're not going to re- renew it." So, <laughs> um. She is there. Her father hated her. He was disappointed in her because she chose a different life path. And uh, so uh, – but she's there to get the bloodstone, which she believes is her her birthright. Um, but her mother her, – her stepmother does not does not agree. Um, really uh, terrific fucking casting here, by the way. Yes. Uh, because they get what's-her-name um, – Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name right now. Harriet Sampson Harris, um, who is a terrific character actress. Yes, she's great. Um, she's won Tonys, uh, and uh, she's been in a whole bunch of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Yeah. She's just t- terrific. Um, but uh, she plays the uh, the mother-in-law, uh, the stepmother, sorry, uh, with a really delightful broadness. Yes, she's she really I feel like she is arguably the only actor in this that leaned into the classic monster movie feel where everybody else is doing much more modern stuff. Well, it's tough because I would say that Kirk Thatcher is doing a pretty fun thing. It's not quite a a fun thing, but it's not it's not monster movie, but he's doing like it's a later monster movie, maybe. But like. Well, I think that's part of the vibe of this being a memory of monster movies. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like um, he he could be a wild character from some 90s or 80s monster movie. Yeah. Um, the same way that the martial artist could be a guy from like a um, a hopping vampire movie. You know, I mean, like yeah. uh, the thing is the rest of the monster hunters have zero development. Um, yeah. And because they can't use their own weapons, they have zero um, – identifying characteristics yes <laughs> um they just kind of look interesting and uh but they're using whatever weapons they find in the um 
in the maze, which is interesting because they end up finding weapons that do feel correct for them. <laughs> exactly. The weapons they probably brought with them. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. so that's the thing. Like, like, so like they end up with weapons that do feel correct for them, but they aren't like their weapons, you know? So yeah. you kind of like lose out on, on some of that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah. So we learn that that's what they're here to do. The, the corpse of Ulysses bloodstone gives a speech. Yes, um, I fun. quite love that, that he hasn't, his animatronic has made his corpse animatronic and gives a speech to everybody about what they're doing there that night. That and he does it like the servant, I think also does a good old school monster movie. So when he's turning the, the crank and he's like, yeah, you know, like he's struggling real hard and stuff. That made me laugh. Yeah, he's doing he's doing really good, Dwight Fry. Um, yeah. And uh, I love that though that Ulysses Bloodstone is like the crypt keeper. He gets to do like his little pun at the end and shit like that. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was very delightful. It was very silly, and that made me really happy that it was so silly. Um, and that I think is part of what I really enjoyed about this show was that it is got a lot of different weird tones to it and it's never afraid to sort of be dumb or weird or silly. And I think that's like, (laughs) you think that it is afraid of doing those things. I think they never give Jack his full name. I think they never call the man thing, the man thing. I think instead they call it Ted and they're like, Oh, it's fun. And it's like, no, like get real weird and kooky with it. Like his name is Ted. I know. I know that in, in the comics, he was a guy named Ted. He was a Dr. Theodore, blah, blah, blah. But like, Call him the man thing. Call, give Jack's full name. You know, like, I don't, it, it felt like, to me, it felt like they were like, well, that's, we got to skirt around that because man thing, that's real goofy sound. Well, I actually have like a lot of thoughts about man thing, um, which we'll get to when we man thing shows up in the story. Because I have a lot of thoughts about how man thing is used. They're not negative, but they're like thoughts. Um, so they begin the, uh, the, 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 the ritualistic hunt and uh, Jack Russell gets to go first. They're very jealous of him. And then we get like some of them like skulking around in the garden. There's like an old record player playing some uh, uh, inappropriately peppy music and stuff like that. Classic spooky business. Well, the flaming tuba guy rules. That was awesome. <laughs> that was like, that might be my favorite thing in this was like, oh, that's awesome. That's it's just cool. so cool. It's just like such a yeah. cool, weird touch that like yeah. doesn't make any sense per se. Yeah, but was just really visually cool. Um, and then the hunt is on. And what we learn out pretty, what we learn pretty quickly is that the hunters are not only hunting the monster; they're also hunting each other. Um, they decide that the best way to make sure they win is to kill the competition in the maze. Well, she says that in the in like the room when when they're like, "Why is also here?" She didn't get a medallion, and the 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 mother the stepmother is like, "Like no, she's welcome here, but like the rest of you, she is. You can take her out." You know, you can, you can just kill her. You know, you can all kill each other. That's part of the deal. So we get some business in the maze for a while. Um, some skulking, we get some fighting. Um, I, it was interesting. She cuts off a guy's hand, which I really liked and then uses his own weapon against him on his severed hand. Thought that was very good. Uh, and then hides in the grass with his, with him as he's slowly dying, (laughs) covering his mouth as he slowly dies. I uh, really enjoyed that business. Um, but there's like a lot of back and forth, a lot of bullshit in the, um, in the maze. The, um, the, the big point of it is that we meet the man thing in the maze and the man thing reaches out and grabs Jack Russell. And there's like a moment where you think, Oh no, the monster got him. And then you realize that they're in fact buddies. And not only that, they're buddies, but that 
Jack is consistently getting Man Thing out of scrapes. Yep. So Man Thing, very interesting character, and for a lot of reasons. One is that he first appeared like two months before Swamp Thing. I thought it was the same month. No, uh, Man Thing appeared in a comic that was um, cover date May, and Swamp Thing appeared in a comic that was cover date July. Okay. So. But like within – they were like, you know, they were contemporaneous, like almost the exact same time. Now, Len Wein and um, Jerry Conway, who individually um, did a lot of the big work on creating these characters, were roommates. Yeah. So <laughs> clearly there was some cross-pollination occurring in this Somebody situation. left some notes out. <laughs> well, so the thing is, is that – so the way that it works is that Man-Thing was initially – sort of created by Roy Thomas and Stanley, but they didn't write anything with him. They just like were like throwing around character concepts and Stan gave him the name man thing, which had been a name they had used in some other monster comics in the past. Yeah. And, um, they handed it off and then uh, man thing got like an appearance in one of these monster comics. And then eventually he got his own appearance in giant size man thing. Number one, uh, wonderfully greatest title of all time. Greatest title of all time. There's a, I forget what comic it is now. There's a Marvel comic where they're in the background. There's graffiti that says I have a giant size man thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what comic it is. Somebody let me know. Um, but it's an incredible title. Giant size man thing. <laughs> Just truly how weird it was back in the seventies that nobody recognized what that was. Uh, <laughs> nuts um but at the time the swamp thing's origin was considered so close to man thing's origin that a lot of the marvel writers they tried to get jerry conway to talk len ween out of using this basically the same origin because they're like they're kind of the same character in a lot of ways but what's really interesting about man thing and what makes him very different from swamp thing is that whatever knows fear burns at the touch of the man thing and that happens in this show but they do not explain it and I think I respect that. Hmm. Okay. Because it it follows the rules. Like, it's not like, it isn't like they just give him, like, random burning touch. It does seem as though everybody that he burns is afraid of him in the moment. Sure, but, um, but it also seems like maybe he can just turn it on and off. I don't think he can. But there's nothing in this that says he can't. Well, there's nothing in this that says anything either way. Yeah. I think one of the things I think is that probably what's happening here, to be very frank, is that they are trying to make as much of this shit vague as possible. Yes. Because they know that somebody else is going to pick this up later on and have more space to do more work with it. Yeah. And they don't want to they don't want to hem these characters in too much. Yeah. That's my guess. That's why we don't have any kind of origin for Jack. We don't have any kind of origin for Man Thing. Why they don't even say Man Thing. Um this I feel like it's a show that they could have said Man Thing. I it would not have felt out of place. No, I don't think it would have at all. You know, uh, if you like, you will be hunting the man thing. I think part of the reason though why that isn't the case is because I think that the show is trying to make you not sure what they're hunting. Yeah, no, they want you to think you're, they're they're hunting the werewolf, right? Would be yeah, idea. yeah. Although I guess you could say the man thing and it still could sound like a werewolf, but you know it's called werewolf. But you would night. just I say mean, werewolf. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's the thing. Yeah, you just say werewolf, right? So yeah. Um, I, I think they, that might be reason why they never say man thing. There's not like a really great spot for somebody to shout out man thing. Yeah. Um, and Jack is certainly not going to call him the man thing cause he's his buddy. Um, yeah. but we learned that they're buddies, they're pals. And this is where we've learned that actually Jack Russell is not a monster hunter, but has infiltrated this group to rescue his buddy, Ted. Um, and yeah, the man thing's real name is Ted. Um, yeah. he is a scientist, uh, who, um, 
who ended up getting fucked up in the swamp and became the man thing. Uh, so I really like man thing. I'm going to say this actually out loud here in on, on the podcast. I like man things design better than swamp things design. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think man things more interesting looking. He got that weird fucking head with the tentacles the, and shit. Tusk. Yeah. The tubes or whatever they are. It's like so yeah. cool. You got a big nose. He's just so much cooler looking and so much less like a man than, than the swamp thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, so the reason, so Kevin Feige said that this is going to be a, a important part of Marvel moving forward. Do you, do you, do you know why? Cause he says that with everything they do. Mm. I mean, sure. <laughs> but do you know why perhaps that might be true? Uh, no. So the man thing lives in, um, the Florida Everglades. That's his deal. And it turns out under Steve Gerber, who wrote man thing for a while, he, um, created Howard the duck. Yes. Man thing lives in a swamp. That is the nexus of all realities. And oh. in fact, in the storyline from Steve Gerber, he becomes the guardian of the nexus of all realities. Okay. So if we're talking about the multiverse, you can see how the man thing fits right into that. Yes. So we can, we can be sure that, uh, Jack and Ted are going to show up in Kang Dynasty. I would almost guarantee in one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I, almost certainly. Um, I would be wild if he's like a major player in, in, in Secret Wars. Yep. Like if they're, if, if Kang brings multiple realities together and then man things. Yeah. I mean, like, and man things involved in it, that would be really fucking wild. That this is, I think, is part of. After Endgame, so when we hit Endgame, I was very exhausted with the MCU, and I did not like Endgame very much, and I was not looking forward to a lot of MCU stuff at that point. And then, so of course, I decided to do a podcast about it. And, uh, <laughs> but I really, I really love Phase Four, and I love Phase Four because it's so unexpectedly strange so much of the time. Yeah, and it goes off in different directions than I would have ever imagined they would go off in. And so, having Swamp Thing be like a major player in secret wars would actually be the kind of weird ass current MCU stuff that I would love to see. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. I will say the, the man thing in the show looks fantastic. He's terrific looking. Yeah. He looks great. They do, they do a really good job of making him look like man thing. He looks like man thing, but also making him kind of lovable. Yeah. He, yeah. He has like a goofy quality to him He's in certain group. sequences. He's very great. Yeah. They really did. They did. Perfected, grooted him, didn't up. they? Yeah. yeah, they grooted him up. But I don't think they grooted him up like in a in a design way. He looks like Man Thing. No, he looks like Man Thing. He looks one hundred percent like Man Thing. Yeah, except he's got Rick and Morty eyes. I did notice that. So, um, there is one thing also to know that um, both Steve Gerber and Chris Claremont, who wrote Man Thing at different times, put themselves in the comics, and Chris Claremont made himself the Man Thing for a little while. <laughs> Well, there you go. Marvel was really weird back then. <laughs> and I would love if the man thing ends up becoming Chris Claremont at some point in this. That'd be, <laughs> that'd be very weird. Five. That'd be very weird. Um, but I really think that man thing is really well done. Uh, <laughs> what? Chris Claremont becomes man thing. Then Kevin Feige comes out. He's like, sorry, Jim Lee doesn't want to work with you anymore. <laughs> then he just gets thrown out. Chris Claremont had like a pretty hardcore rant at a convention this year. 
Yeah. Yeah. Said some pretty problematic stuff. Yes, uh, like some of it was old man stuff. Like that's just like old. It's old man. It was stuff, mostly right? old man stuff. Yeah, a couple of the things though were like, oof, Chris. Yeah, there was so no period in time where that's okay to say on a stage. Like yeah. this is not like you don't know the current world. That that was never okay to say. Like you're kind of being a jerk right now. Yeah. Um. But uh, whatever. His 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 run of X Men is will never be defeated. It's no. imp- it's impossible, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. It's, so it, that and Peter David's Hulk. They're just too long to defeat. I mean, I think also I think Claremont's like they 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 spend so much time on it and set up so much of what has become the mythology of these characters. That's the thing, Claremont's um, Claremont's X Men is not just the defining X Men run. It in many ways is after Stan and Jack the defining Marvel Comics run. Yeah. Like if you want to know what Marvel comics are, you would read some of those really fantastic fours and stuff like that and some Spider-Mans and then you would come up and you would read Claremont's X-Men. Yeah. And I think that that really – each of those speak to you about that specific era in which they were coming out and what yeah. Marvel was and what Marvel is. And I think it's still built on the foundation of what Claremont was doing both with John Byrne and, and after John Byrne. Yeah. And before John Byrne too because obviously John Byrne was not the first – Artist that no, he was working with just before. Um, but um, anyway, so we this is what we learned. We learned that this is what Jack Russell's actually doing. There's not a monster hunter. He is a guy trying to help his buddy the man thing. And uh, there's some fighting in the garden. And then Jack and Elsa Bloodstone end up locked in a tomb. She's been injured. Yeah, she got. She should be dead, <laughs> to be honest. But which brought brought a question to me: Is does she have superpowers? You know, I don't really know. Because the, um, the Scottish guy slams her head into a stone wall like three times really hard. And then she's just like, ow. I was like, wow, that's that looks painful. I am not 100% sure. Um, she's a blogger. Well, then <laughs> now I understand why her head is fine. <laughs> she is a blogger. Uh, I don't actually know if she has powers or not. I'm not like really... Uh, okay, so here, according to Wikipedia, she's exhibited superhuman strength, speed, and durability, and endurance, okay. and a regenerative yeah. healing factor. I mean, I figured like like probably something of like the Bloodstone lineage. Like Th- that would make sense. Um, it also says that so if a vampire tries to bite her, the vampire will die. Okay. Well, there you go. She claims that she has inherited at least some of the blood gem power genetically. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, and then, but she also gets her leg gets cut, and that's why she's. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not like a big Elsa Bloodstone person. It's kind of wild to me that this is that she's going to be the character they're moving forward with. But um, Elsa Bloodstone, like in a big way, and a lot of people have said this before. I'm not making this up. She's like a Buffy ripoff in a lot of ways. Yeah, like she came out in that period. She does Buffy's move in this episode. <laughs> she sure does. Um, and so you know. But I'm, it's, it's the MCU. I'm, I'm willing to see what they do with this character, who I think has not been a particularly great character. Yeah. Um, anyway, they get up locked in this tomb, and I love the design of the tomb. Yeah, it's very I cool. love the, the backlit nameplates on all the, um, the tombs. There yeah. is a, one nameplate. I have not looked up anybody noticing this or not. Is a nameplate of a guy named John Howell uh, McDougal. Oh, um, is that... Uh... Well, so, yeah, the thing is, Howell is a Wolverine's last name. Yeah. Uh, and uh, McDougal is the last name 
of um, uh, what you call it. Oh my gosh, what is the the Alpha Flight characters? Right, I think so. Uh, now I have to look this up because I didn't look this up and I did not um, bother to see if uh, it's Howlett. By the way, is Wolverine's last name not Howlett? I think it must be Howlett on the thing then. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. What if this whole podcast, it's, you know, this is extra special episode, so who cares? <laughs> oh, you know what? James McDonald Hudson is the guy's name. I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. forget it. Ignore this. This is, in fact, not a Easter egg. This is just Got me. It. Cut, <laughs> Got it. We're going to keep it in. Uh, it's important that I look stupid. Um Anyway, I love the backlit design. I love the, the the general 1930s monster movie design of this this tomb. It's it's got a very expressionistic feeling to it. It does makes no sense as an actual tomb. It almost has an expressionistic feel to it. it again, it's the lighting doesn't it doesn't have the stark contrast that I would expect from the right. lighting. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean they went and the the set designer did the job. Yes. Where um, I think in color it probably has the the stark contrast lighting. I wonder. Or at I, least do closer. I don't know. Maybe not. What do I know about lighting? All right. Um, I will say that uh, in this scene, uh, Jack and Elsa create an uneasy alliance where he explains that he's there to uh, free the monster and she's there to get the bloodstone. So she doesn't really give a shit. So they're going to team up. Uh, he, he does one thing here that watching it, I was like, God damn, I wish I could be that goddamn cool and smooth where because she's sitting down and he goes to sit next to her but he spins around before he sits. And I was like, he does it so effortlessly and cool. Like it's unfair. It's unfair. Yeah, but do you know why he does that? Cause he's a dog. He's a fucking dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he makes it look cool. <laughs> that is a really great bit of physical business though. That obviously, yeah. uh, Gael Garcia Bernal thought of and said, you know what? A dog would spin before he sat down. So I'm going to yeah. spin too. It's so yeah. good. But he does it so cool. I was like, cause he starts, I'm like, why is he, he's going to sit, like facing away from her. Oh no, he's spinning fully around and then sits down. I was like, Oh, that looks really cool. And he's a dog, but like, <laughs> um, he's, he's so really, smart. he's like, really delightful in this. Charming. Yeah. He's really delightful in this. I think he's not quite the Jack Russell of the comics. Um, but I think that he really, um, captures sort of a little bit of a, a guy in over his head who's trying to do his best. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I really like his his portrayal of this character in this. And I, I I really really enjoyed it. So they decided to team up, and he has explosives. Um, I don't know where he got them from. They seem to be like Marvel Comics explosives. I think Marvel. he gets them from her because he says, "How do I turn this on?" So I'm guessing she gave it to him. Okay, I would didn't quite catch that. This is one of my problems with this. Is I feel like this was a full movie, and they cut out a bunch of scenes, and it's like it's fine. Just move on. Um, so they have a plan. They're going to go to the outer wall. There's an outer wall with a crack. She knows this place well because she grew up here, I guess. And, uh, they're going to blow that wall and let the man thing out. And, and they're going to choose she, the wrong people to, for each job. They're what? They're going to choose the wrong people for each job. Like she's like, you go blow up the wall. I'll go get the killer monster that knows you. Yeah. It's a pretty weird decision making process. So here. we can recreate uh, that shot from the Avengers movie where Hulk is chasing black uh, Black Widow down there. Down the uh, it does give him a nice chance to say, talk to him like you know him, call him Ted. I, I did yes. like that. 
Um, cause it's an attempt to humanize the, the monster, right? Yeah. Um, so they do the thing, very funny bit of business where he gets to the wall, cannot figure out how, well, first of all, he's playing with the thing in the tomb. He actually sets it off. Yes. And so, so he has run. to now run against time to go throw it against the wall to blow up the wall. Very funny bit of business where he throws it against the wall and it bounces off the wall. Yes. Really love that. Love and he's that. looking on the ground for it. He can't find it at first. It's so good. It's like such a good little bit of business. And I think it's really good too because it's really – there's like a lot of character in that. Yeah. Like he, he's not one of these guys. He isn't like an action-adventure guy. Yeah. So like his inability to pull this off I think is really charming and really well done. She brings the man thing. They blow up the wall. Um, as the man thing runs out of the wall, she uses – she has a hook, retractable hook. That she gets she uses. Grave. Yeah, yeah uh, that for her her great great grandmother, uh, grandmother or great grandmother, something like that. Yeah. yeah, because the premise is that they're trapped. The way they got out of that tomb is that her father had always told her stories about her great great grandmother who um, believed that she would come back from the dead. So uh, she had keys buried with her. Plan. Yeah, yeah, she had an escape plan. She had keys to the tomb buried with her, and also happened to have this weapon buried with her as well. Yes, and so she pulls A the very Simon Belmont weapon, by the way. <laughs> Uh, she pulls the bloodstone off the back of man thing as he runs out of the maze. It falls on the ground and Jack Russell tries to grab it and it blows him back because he's a monster. And, um, just then the rest of the team, the rest of the bad guys show up and they capture them both. Um, everybody's very mad at Elsa for letting the monster go. They put we wake up and they're in the cage from planet of the apes. Yep. Really love that. Yeah, that's fun. Loved that. And they're in this cage in the middle of the room, which I love that they put the cages in the middle of the fucking big room, the big study. And the premise here is they're putting her in the cage with him because they know that he's a werewolf now and that they're going to let him turn into a werewolf and kill her. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. We're five days away from the full moon. It's totally under control. And she's like, you don't get it. The bloodstone will turn you in five seconds. Like that's this thing has got its weird power over monsters. They're going to be able to make you a werewolf whenever they want. And he's, he starts explaining to her that he has controls, that he's not like a bad werewolf, that he has like taken measures to control himself when the full moon comes. You know, your usual werewolf guy stuff. Yeah. Big, big Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Um, which, by the way, last night at the Q&A, William Friedkin um, uh, d- d- went off onto a side – thought process about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein while talking about the classics, talked about how that's one of the great movies. He's um, not wrong. He's not wrong. Uh, but it's got like big Larry Talbot in, in, in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Like I, you know, I have to be locked in this room, all that kind of stuff. Um, but she's like, well, we're fucked because they're going to turn you to the world right now. And so he tries, I really like what he does here. He tries to smell her. Yeah. And he tries to make, he's like, don't break eye contact with me, which is like what you do with a dog. You don't break eye contact with the dog when you're trying to like dominate it. But also he tries to get those smells so that when he changes, he'll remember her. Yes. Um, he's trying to connect the two halves of himself, the only ways that he can figure out how to do it. Uh, but it is to no avail because uh, uh, the well, stepmother comes avail. in. He well, doesn't it kill is, her. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know that he, um, he does try to kill her later on. But he stops when, when, when he smells her. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess it does work, but it, there's a there's a couple of dicey moments in there. Yes, uh, they change him into a werewolf, and then uh, I thought he was going to tear her arm off. It seemed like that was what was supposed to be happening. But then she and has then two arms later on. Like, yeah, she's fine. She's complete. Like the stepmother's completely fine. Like he didn't bite her. He, was, I guess, he was just pulling at her arm. 
Yeah, it's funny because this this show is not afraid to cut somebody's head in half and shit. So like I'm not like it's not and they've we cut off saw one arm. hand get cut off, right? So Yeah, like, that I don't know what the decision making process on that was exactly, yeah. but you know, it is what it is. I I I I enjoyed the bit. Yeah. Just sort of separately. I enjoyed the the cinematography of that bit as the camera pulls into her face and she's terrified and in pain. Yeah. Um then a bunch of MCU guys show up with uh stun stun prods, cattle prods. Uh, yeah, like absolute armored guys. Yeah, yeah, like they but like I like I like that because again, this is the MCU. So like what is your monster security team gonna look like? Yeah. Look in like this world. Control. Yeah. Yeah, they look like that, right? Um and they probably had those costumes laying around, frankly. Yeah. Somehow when they're shocking him, it creates a tremendous amount of smoke. They must burn his fur or something. I like his transformation, by the way. It's a good transformation. They yes, play I it did, out in I shadow. I do want to bring that out that it's it, it looks like it's the the shadow the the his shadow that we see transforming it looked to me like it was like a two D animation and I like that really great it really yeah. calls back to some of the classic monster movie business yeah um, also he looks incredible yeah he looks good this is again one thing where I'm like I don't think this was lit for black and white because he looks muddy like the, you can't really see him very well. I don't think you're supposed to. I think sometimes you're not supposed to. And then as it goes on, I think you're supposed to. But he, the fur is getting lost in the, in the shadow. He has a good look. He looks a lot like the werewolf by night from the comics. Yes. Um, he's a wolfman, which is always ideal. We don't want werewolves. We want wolfmen. Yes. He has, um, he has some, uh, he reminds me a little bit of Oliver Reed's werewolf. Okay. Um, because he has those big shoulders. Yes. And he's got like a big barrel chesty shoulder thing. He's got like a big appliance on his back, which which Oliver Reed had too. Um, but he also has, I think, a more human face, a little bit closer in line with um with the classic Universal Wolfman. Yeah. So he's like, I think, kind of like hitting a number of these, and he also looks a little bit to me like a mid-change American werewolf in London. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that they, all of these design pieces are here in this character. I love that he's in a fucking hairy suit. Yes. I'm glad he was not CG. I mean, man thinks CG. I get it. Like, I'm not yeah, going to complain yeah, about what, that. What are you, you going to do there? But this is a guy in a furry suit, and I, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was fucking amazing, and it's what I want to see with a wolfman, and I think it is the, the best, the only way to go with that kind of character. I agree. He busts out of the – anyway, I guess they burn his fur. Because the room fills with smoke. <laughs> yeah. Well, they throw uh, smoke canisters in there or something. I don't know. Uh, tear gas maybe? I don't know. Um, but uh, he busts out of the top of the cage, blows right through it, gets into a big fight scene, does a lot of jumping around, like uh, sailing through the air, real underworld-looking werewolf jumping around business. Yeah, a lot of wire work. A lot of the wire work. Bites off a guy's ear. Does bite off a guy's ear. Um, and then Elsa uh, is able to get out, and uh, she goes to town, too. Yes. We have a big fight scene. Um, uh, El- Elsa Elsa kills all of the people of color and gender nonconforming people in this program. Yes. So with a name like Elsa. Problematic. I, really? Like deep fucking <laughs> white, white supremacy vibes out of a name like Elsa. Uh, <laughs> then she's killing all the people that are not white. Um, really troubling. Uh, yes. the, uh, the werewolf by night is just like disemboweling soldiers, um, ripping them to pieces, uh, blood splattering on the camera lens. Yes. 
truly enjoyed it. I, I was did very, not. you did not, you don't no. like blood on the counter lines, right? No, I hate it. I, hate I it. love it. I love it. I hate it. I think it, it, it's a weird fourth wall break. I don't like oh, it. I love it. I love blood on the camera. I also it's, don't like CG blood and it's all CG blood. Yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, that's like, that's a, that's a battle I gave up a long time ago. I have not given that up. Like, you never, like you I'll give it up for it. like action movies. But I think if you're doing a horror thing, you need, you need visceral blood. They're just not, most people aren't going to do it. And the re- the reality is the reason why they're not going to do it is because everybody's looking to save moments. And so if you don't have to reset a blood splatter, you're going to save time and that's money. And so that's the reason why that's exactly why they just do it digital well, because think. you have to, you, you're, they're, they're, they're not going to feel confident that they're going to get the blood splatter they want. They're not going to feel confident that it's going to be able to be cleaned up quickly enough to do a, to do a reset and do the test second take. Yeah, no, I know why they do it. I don't care. It looks bad. No, I, I agree. I, but, but it looks the thing too is, plotted out. No, I don't disagree. I don't. I don't like it. But yeah. but I've also given up on it. Like I just I I've lost this battle. Like there's just no way. When when there is practical blood in a movie, I'm very excited. Yeah. But at this point, I no longer complain about digital because it just it is what it is. Like I just can't. You know what I mean? It's like I feel the same way about film. So I saw um, a Wounded Fawn, which played at Beyond Fest this weekend. They shot on film. And I love that. It's incredible. Like make movies on film. They look better. They just look like movies. Like this looks like a fucking movie. But I also watch movies that aren't on film. Most movies I watch are not on film anymore. And I don't like that. But I made my peace with it. Because what am I going to do? I'm going to be mad every single time I go see a new movie and it's fucking digital? You can't. Like you just have to, you have to give up at a certain point. You have to go, you know what? Like I'm going to appreciate it when it happens. But I'm not going to hold it against the things where it doesn't happen because it just never happens. It's just not, it's not ideal. Again, I agree with you. And I think Michael Giacchino probably would have liked to have used real blood. If I had to guess in his, in his, there is some real blood in this, isn't there? When it's like dripping on somebody's face. Yeah. But none of like the spurt, like spurts or anything are real. Um, he disembowels all of these soldiers. Uh, and then he gets trapped in, um, the hallway. The, there's like a security door that drops. Elsa is killing everybody else, and then we end up with um, him versus her. What? <laughs> just the, just occurred to me. It's Elsa the she wolf of. Uh, well, it's Ilsa the she wolf. Oh, Ilsa okay. is the okay. Ilsa okay. is the exploitation yeah. character. Elsa is the character from Frozen. Yeah. Um, but Elsa is also Elsa uh, Elsa Lanchester, who is the Bride of Frankenstein. Yes. Um, so I think that's probably what the reference in the name Elsa so. is, but also Elsa. Um, because she's a monster hunter, there's like a real connection between like your Germanic peoples and monster hunters. Yes. Um, so that's probably also part of the deal. Because Ulysses Bloodstone is not Germanic because he predates the Germanic people um, being 30,000 years old. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, he, he predates Ulysses. He's the first Ulysses. There you go. 20,000 years before Homer wrote the Odyssey, Ulysses Bloodstone running around. Um, I wonder if they have made him be the origin of the Odyssey. Would not be surprised, frankly. Yeah, that would not shock me at all. Um, it ends up with the werewolf by night versus Elsa, and uh, he's about to get her. And as you say, he recognizes her smell. But stepmom is not dead yet, and she shows up, and she is about to kill them with a shotgun. Well, he runs away, and then the stepmom comes in. Yeah, he runs away. The stepmom comes. He runs out the door. Stepmom comes in. She's got the shotgun. She racks the shotgun. I really like the shotgun. Yes. There's like a real like, I'm just going to fucking finish this 
element to a character racking a shotgun in a monster yeah. sword fight scene. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it really has that element of like, fuck it, I'm just going to kill you. But then she gets cr- uh, fucked up by the man thing who comes busting out of the ceiling and he picks her up and he melts her in um, pretty explicit detail. Yeah. For a Marvel Disney plus program. I mean, uh, no more than I think what they did in Miss Marvel. You know, when they killed, uh, what's their names? Yeah, I think that there's something about her screaming in agony the whole time. And yeah, that she's obviously, pretty, pretty well. that she's obviously burning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? She's not turning like to ash or whatever, like some kind of magical thing. She's just, her flesh is burning off. Yeah. And she's, she's screaming and writhing the whole time. It felt pretty intense to me, like for this world, which I liked. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, give me the intense violence. I'm like, I would like that. And so uh, she is able to chat to the man thing. Uh, Elsa is able to chat to the man thing and tell him where the werewolf by night took off to. And uh, we end up with um, there's nothing else happens in there, right? That's it. She gets the bloodstone. Uh, that's the end. She of gets that. bloodstone. She sits down. Oh, and then uh, everything turns to the color. And everything turns to color. Yeah. Yeah, because the um, the Dwight Fry guy comes over and is like, "I'm just here to serve you." Yeah. So she becomes clearly the new master of Bloodstone Manor or whatever that place is. Yeah. We cut to Jack Russell waking up the next morning. He's wearing um, a, a hooded robe, which is what the monster hunters had worn when they came in to kill. And, to and we see when kill. Swamp Thing is walking out, he grabs a hooded robe. That's right. It's Man Thing. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Man Thing. That's Swamp Thing. Man Thing. And they get up and. Uh, Again, the the show doesn't give you a lot of information about Man Thing. So, like in this bit, when Jack Russell wakes up and comes out of this little hut that he's built, this little tent, Man Thing's playing solitaire. Yep, I love he's that. Made, and he's made uh, pressed coffee. coffee. He's got the record player going. It's so good, and it's really. I am like so curious. This feels like for the first time in a long time where I don't know how the regular audience understands this. Like, yeah. not like how they, but like what their understanding of it is. Yeah. Because this is so weird and they don't explain so much of it. And so as somebody that knows Man-Thing, I get this. But like Man-Thing is A, very niche. B, the audience has learned how to understand comic book superhero stuff, but this isn't quite comic book superhero stuff. It's a little bit different. Yeah. And I'm just very curious what the general audience takeaway of him playing solitaire and making coffee is. They're going to love it. Or do they just, is, is Groot just taught them Groot has taught them, and he is. They've turned him into Groot. Man, thing is just Groot. He, he's Earth Groot, <laughs> and, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people like, I can't wait to see Groot and and Man Thing meet. I mean, I would like to see that. Sure, I want to see everybody it. meet. I'm into the the crossover stuff. But uh, and then the camera pans up into the sky, and we get a nice the end over the clouds. And Classic gonna get sushi. They're going to get sushi. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. What you what? So what? You didn't like this, huh? It's fine. I thought it was. I felt like they never went full on with any choice. Everything is half choices. And and like you said, they're definitely leaving a lot of stuff open for future appearances. But I also feel like they didn't give me a reason to be interested in these characters. So that's my stance on it. So here's the thing. I don't disagree, but I don't think that's important. Yeah, I just took this. Important. I just, well, I think, well, I'll get to that in a second. 
I thought that this was just a fun one-off event thing. Like I didn't need a lot of story. I didn't need like a lot. I wanted like a lot of atmosphere and a lot of weirdness. And I, I got those things. Um, I felt like Bernal is such a good actor that he gave me a lot of stuff just within his choices. Um, so even though I don't know a lot about that character per se, I feel like I understood a lot about how he's playing that character from his smaller choices. Um, you know, Elsa Bloodstone felt like a very generic character to me. The rest of them, obviously they don't care about Like They just, they're just there to get killed, right? Yeah. They're just cannon fodder. And that's the thing. So like, once you realize they're cannon fodder, it's fine. I, there are interesting enough monster hunters that I do wish they had gotten some more signature business to do. Yeah. That would have been the easy thing to do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I don't disagree with you, but I came into this not expecting like very much at all. Like I didn't expect the full story. I expected just like the fact that it's a special presentation, the fact that it's like its own little weird Halloween special. Um, I just expected it to be like a weird little tone piece, and I got I got a lot of that. And I thought Giacchino did a really good job, by the way. Yeah, I think it's it's well directed. Giacchino is famous as a composer. Yes. And he composed the new Star Treks and a lot of Pixar's. And I think I'm sure he did the music for this, which I thought, which I thought was terrific. Some really terrific music in this. Um, and I think that he has a real um, love of old monster movies that you really get a sense of that, that doesn't feel like irony. It doesn't feel like um, bullshit. It feels like somebody who actually likes he's I mean, I know that Giacchino's a monster kid. Like, I know that for a fact. And you can yeah. see that element in the thing. And I that that's kind of all that I wanted. I didn't want a lot out of this. Like, I didn't want a lot of MCU stuff out of this. I didn't want, like, a lot of, like, heavy story out of this. I just wanted, like, I, what I wanted was a, like, basically, like, an, an eight-page story in Where Monsters Dwell. Do you know what I mean? Like, where, like, you just get, like, two characters show up, do a thing, and then they walk out. And then when the audience response is good, they give those two characters their own comic later on. Yeah. That, and that's what this felt like to me. It felt like a, a, a not, not even a one-shot, but, like, an eight-page story in a comic that has three eight-page stories. I agree. This feels like an eight page story that was stretched out over like 30 pages. <laughs> like it's too, it's too long for not for not to, to go into character. It's it, like, if this was 25, 30 minutes, great, fine. But there's, there's just nothing that grabs me about these characters. Like other than I, I know them like from the comics. Like, Oh, it's the comic. It's the guy from the comics. Like, Oh, you know, man thinks cool looking, but like, there's no connection to Jack in this. Like, he's just like, Hey, I'm here. I'm a werewolf. Like, you know, I don't know. I, it felt very flat to me that things, things just did not connect. They just kind of happened like with the, the grenade, you know, the, the, the bomb for the wall where it's like, Oh, we got this now. And it's like, well, where'd that come from? <laughs> like, I'd like to know a little bit more, you know, about who these people are, what they're doing, you know? And I, I don't feel like that's there. And I, I do think it's on purpose. I don't think it was a thing where they were like, oh, we forgot to include character. Like, I think they did it on purpose. I just don't, I did not like that. Mm, it worked for me. I enjoyed it. And again, it was a confection. I don't, this does not like, I saw somebody else complaining the same thing online saying, you know, if you want, you know, this, this show doesn't have any characters, it's a failure. I'm like, I, I don't know, it's a confection. It's just, it's not like a real thing to me. But, so but I'm, if I'm it's like, not a real thing, it shouldn't be an hour. That's my thought. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be half the length of Iron Man to, to not be a thing. Yeah, I guess it didn't feel that super long to me. I just, I really enjoyed it. Like I just enjoyed the, the experience of it. So I, 
it didn't need to be all that much more than what I mean. I guess if it was shorter, it'd been nice, but like I don't, I didn't feel like it dragged to me. No, I didn't feel like it dragged. I, I agree. I don't. I, I knew, well a little bit in the middle. I kind of felt like it dragged. But there's like a little bit of a moment when they first get into the garden where you're like, okay, the, the, your tension building is not working here. Speed this up. Yeah, but other than yeah. that, I felt like it didn't really drag. I mean, I'm, I was, I'm actually surprised it's an hour long. Well, it is. I, no, I, I, I think it's like it's like forty eight minutes. It's not exactly now, but but yeah, it's like TV long. hour, right? Yeah. Like I'm surprised that it's that long because it doesn't quite. It didn't quite feel that long to me. Yeah. So that's the other part that makes it a successful confection to me is I watched something for 48 minutes and it felt like it was 30 and I feel, Oh, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. but like, look, I'm, I'm easy. I'm an easy lay with I, this stuff. I also think that if you're going for classic monster feel, there are things that they missed that seem real obvious to me. Like what? Like when they wake up in the cage and, and he's like, Hey, don't worry. We've got at least five days to figure it out before I turn. How you don't have her say, Jack, you've been unconscious for four days. And then he looks up and the moon is rising, like through the, the top of the glass, top of that, of the, the room they're in, because it's a glass top. You can see through it. It's a window. And I was like, that's, that's what you do. You don't have to be like, oh, the bloodstone can turn you into a werewolf. Oh, I disagree with that. I mean, I do like that. That would have been a fine bit, but I think establishing that the bloodstone can control monsters, I think feels important to me. I guess maybe like it feels <laughs> important. Like I just, I, I feel like the bloodstone doesn't have any other function in the show because it's on man thing, but we don't really understand how it makes him any weaker. Do you know what I mean? Like it he's doesn't just really murdering people with it on him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Really so funny. like, it's not really clear how it makes him weaker. So I think having that in action is important because it shows us what this thing can do. It, it modifies it from just being a rando MacGuffin to a MacGuffin with potential. Yeah. So I, I agree. I would like to have seen the full moon, coming from behind the clouds that shot 100% like I love that shot but within the context and within what they're trying to baseline set up here establishing that the bloodstone truly controls monsters um, feels super important to me right. so I'm, I'm okay with that but I but I I would have liked to have seen the, the the full moon I would like to have had figure out a way to like um, split the difference on that one yeah um but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'll never watch it again. <laughs> like, but like, I spent 48 minutes watching it and had a nice time. Well, there you go. I think as part of the deal, I think there's like some element of the Marvel stuff where because it's connected, there's a sense that everything has to be like either important or meaningful. That it can't just be like a you spent 48 minutes watching a Halloween special and then you go about your day. And that's like, but I'm okay with that. Like, I'm I spent 48 minutes watching a Halloween special. I'm I went about my day the rest of the day. Uh, that felt okay to me. But the, the problem is if you're out there and Kevin Feige's out there being like, this is very important to the future of Marvel, then it can't just be a special. Like if, if they were like, this is just a one-off special. Okay, fine. But if you're out there saying this is very important. Oh, I disagree. I disagree. I think one of the things that's what I miss about Marvel in the early days is when they were doing the, um, the short films. Yeah. I miss that because the thing is that when I miss that too, but, they, but Kevin Feige wasn't saying like, Hey, you need to see item 37. He didn't, that's not, that's not, not what he said. That's not how he said. He just said that this is going to be important to the next phase moving forward, but he didn't say like, you have to see it or whatever. I mean, like he just said like, this is the, the premise well, here is that they're trying, this is important to the next phase. You're saying you're going to need to watch this. I think he's saying, Hey, don't skip this one. Even though you might yeah. think you're going to skip this one. Yeah. That's and what I'm None of them are important because they're always going to recap it in the next one anyway. Like you're never going to actually miss anything. 
Like they're not stupid. They know that like WandaVision was quote unquote important, except that it really wasn't because when you watch Doctor Strange, you don't need to have seen a fucking minute of WandaVision. Yeah. And that's, that's on purpose. Like they don't want you to not be able to watch their big movies because they don't want you to stay home from Secret Wars because you fucking skipped Werewolf by Night. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, but they also want to convince you to watch Werewolf by Night. So they're trying yes. to tread that line. I think that's a fine line to say that this is actually part of the MCU and this is going to have repercussions in the MCU, I think is a reasonable thing to say. Um, he didn't say like, you must watch this. This is a must watch piece. So this is going to have an impact on the MCU. And it is because with Swamp Thing, at, well, Jesus, you did it to me now. Man Thing as the guardian of the nexus of all realities, obviously that's how that's going to come into play. So it is quote unquote important, um, but it's not like quote unquote super important. It's just establishing a thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, again, I just, just do not, I just do not um, care that much. <laughs> like, I, again, if it's a confection, I'm fine with it. Like, I just don't need it to be that that incredible. Again, I'm never going to watch it again. Like, I'm excited yeah. to see these guys show up again. Like, I think um, Bernal's great. I really enjoyed him in this. Excited to see how they work him into, like, other things. I'm assuming he's going to be part of a Midnight Suns team. I would think so, yeah. That's my guess. Blade, Ghost Rider, Werewolf by Night, Man Thing, Elsa Bloodstone. That makes sense as a, a Midnight Suns team, right? Because yeah. Suns is S O N S, not S. And it's, well, no, it is S O N S, isn't it? It's not S U N S. No, it's not S U N S. Why would they gender it so much? Um. Anyway, uh, it was the nineties, and nobody thought. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but like, <laughs> I could see that, and I'm excited <laughs> to see him. <laughs> I'm excited to see him show up in Blade or something, you know. And I really enjoyed him. Um, but that's all I need out of this, just to enjoy him in a moment. Also, just to get like a Wolfman. I just. I'm just such an easy lay. You put a guy in a wolfman suit and have him jump around and rip some guys to shreds, and I'm fully satisfied. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Like that's all I need. Like I don't need much more than that. Yeah, this is the joy of getting old. I don't really need that much more anymore. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm already highly satisfied with a lot of things. So, there you go. Uh, we'll uh, be back uh, with the next episode of She-Hulk, the final episode of She-Hulk. Until then, Derek, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WH underscore Woolhat. Can I give a quick, so that this is on record, uh, a theory I have that I hope is not true? Go do it. I think uh, in the final episode of She-Hulk, Jen is going to be sent to Emil's retreat. And we're going to find out that Emil is part of the plan to take her down. And this was all part of their plan to to trap her somewhere where they could get to her. Mm, we'll see, I guess. I'm hoping we'll that's see. not true. I'm really hoping that's not true because I don't want Emil's supervillain retreat to be a thing that is not about redemption. So we we will see in a couple of days. Yep. We will find out. Uh I'm curious if we're gonna go into space. I don't know. I have a that's my other theory is it's going to end with a back to the future ending where Bruce is going to come landing in a spaceship and, and he'll be like, you need to come with me. And like, then they'll go off. I, I would kind of be into that. I'd be, I'd be interested. All right. So where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at WH underscore Woolhead. You can find me on Twitter at Devin CF. We'll see you again next time. Until then, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be safe, may you be well. But most of all, may you remain a true believer.